Well, howdy, 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 New Spring Church. It's good to see everybody on every single campus. Welcome. That closing shot you just saw there of the drone of those really, really, really beautiful trees, that is a piece of property that we are now under contract for in Aiken, South Carolina, where our new Aiken campus is going to go. And we are so pumped about that. And so I just wanted you to know that every time I see that closing image right there, I think about it. I hope you're doing well. How you feeling? Everybody good? All right, Anderson Campus, can you help me welcome everybody on all of our 14 campuses, folks watching online, anybody who's here with us for the very first time, welcome to week three in a series we are calling Overflow. If you want to open up your Bible or if you want to click there on your digital version, you can do that. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 13 as we continue. We'll pick it up in verse 44 in just a moment. If you actually have the app downloaded on your phone, all of the notes are preloaded there. We do that every single week so you can keep up with them. You can email them to yourself. You can send them to a friend. And uh, if you've not been doing that, that's okay. I'm going to do my best to catch us up to speed by celebrating a couple of things that have happened over the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we got to hear Overflow Week 1. Pastor Lee McDermott brought a fantastic word. Did you enjoy that? It was excellent, excellent, excellent. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go back and get it on the podcast or you can watch it on YouTube. But here was the bottom line from Lee's sermon if you want to catch up to speed. Overflow, it's not just what we do. Overflow is who we are. And he preached from Isaiah 43, which is the passage of Scripture that New Spring Church was Named after, uh, the passage talks about how God will make springs in a desert. He'll make a way in the wasteland. And, and we as a church believe that that's exactly who God's called us to be, that he's called us to be a new spring. If you're a part of New Spring Church, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. It's who God's made us to be is, is an overflowing spring so that folks can find refreshment in dry, hopeless times through the people of God who know the gospel good news. And we have seen God be faithful over 21 years to allow us to be a part of building a church in the state of South Carolina in 14 cities, which is incredible, and we are grateful for that, and that's a big part of what we do every single week. And then last week, Dan Leanne preached a fantastic word, and his uh, Takeaway, if you want to write down these notes, is just simply that God's flowing to you so that God can flow through you. And he had some boys up here using tennis ball illustration. It was perfect. The great example that you can't hold on to all of God's blessings or you stop the flow to you, that you got to let God bless you, that you might be a blessing, that this is the way in the kingdom of God the Lord works. And it was a great example. And so today I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46, about the understanding of overflow from a kingdom perspective. Let's put our eyes on the scriptures this morning. Here we go. Matthew 13, 44, it says this about the kingdom, the overflowing kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, and then he covered it up. Why would he do that? Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he comes back and he buys that field. Jesus goes on to say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and he sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl. So this is Jesus talking in Matthew 13. These are his words, and he is expounding, explaining the kingdom. 
Uh, now, uh, if you want to know this, just right out to the side, the Bible in the Gospels talks about the kingdom. Jesus talks about the kingdom uh, around 126 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the major topics that Jesus is teaching. Uh, it doesn't get as much airplay, I believe, that it needs to get. But when you catch up with Jesus talking and you find words in red, you're going to hear him talking about the kingdom. In the New Testament, the New Testament authors go on to write uh, about the kingdom as well. And so in the New Testament, we see 160 times the authors of the New Testament talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the bottom line that I want to show you from Scripture today is, is that the overflowing life is the natural result of folks that are kingdom people. We say it again, the overflowing life is the natural result of folks that are, that are a part of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is teaching about here, and that's the, the life we aim to live. And so I'm going to do my best to articulate that, to expound that, to encourage that, to stir that, and I hope you're going to amen alongside. Are you okay with that? So we're, we're going to do this today, and, and here's what I'm going to talk about the kingdom. First, we don't have kings anymore around the United States of America. I know that some people are described politically as being uh, domineering, but we don't have kings anymore, right? Uh, now, we watch kings, like placeholder kings over in London, and we get excited about queens getting married, but we don't have them anymore. But let me give you a short definition of what kingdom is, if you're writing down notes. All the kingdom is, is the kingdom is anywhere that there is a rule and reign of a king. A, a king's kingdom is where there is rule and reign of that king. It actually comes from two words, the king's dominion, or where the king dominates. Anywhere that the king dominates, that's the kingdom and so the question that I ask when I back away from this scripture is, why in the world did Jesus have to talk like this to people? Like, what was he after? Why did Jesus need to explain the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Why did he talk about it so often? Why 130 times in the scriptures did Jesus talk about it? Why did the New Testament writers talk about it? And there's a lot of particular reasons, but one that I want us to grab a hold of today is very simply this. Jesus had to talk about the king and the kingdom because, listen, because there's a lot of other kingdoms out there that are ruling and reigning, that are dominating areas of our lives. And Jesus comes into that space and he wants you to know that he is the good king and he has a better kingdom. And folks that find this king and this kingdom end up as the Good, the good Lord shared with us in this Lord's Prayer. We pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to bring a new kingdom in this world full of all these other kingdoms. Now, you'll be interested to know, uh, historians look back and see there are two main factors, two main factors in the early church that allowed the kingdom of God to advance with such speed. And one of those main factors, Rodney Stark, who wrote The Rise of Christianity, a historical book, you can go read it, it's fantastic. One of those main factors was the way that God's people handled their stuff. Generosity, overflow, the way that they handled things that they had control over was one of the main factors that caused Christianity to advance from a little town in Israel, modern day Israel, to the whole world. One of the main factors was generosity. You see, Greco-Roman world, everybody tried to keep their stuff and hoard their stuff, but Christians, they operated with open hands. They blessed one another, they shared with one another, they gave. They, they were different in a countercultural world. They were a part of a different kingdom, and that kingdom ended up taking hold. And so now we name our dogs Caesar and Augustus, and, and we talk about the followers of Jesus, and we admire them, and we name our kids followers of Christ. Amen? 
So see how that works. The other thing just you'd be interested to know was not just the way that the church handled their, their money, their generosity. It was the way they handled their sexuality. In the Greco-Roman world, everybody was having sex with everybody except for the people of God. They were, they were reserving that and submitting that to Christ and, and only holding true to have sexual relations with their spouse. And that made a complete difference in the world that they were in. And so two things just for you to consider is the way you handle your stuff and the way you handle your sexuality are incredible ways to proclaim the gospel in the world we live in today because I think the same thing is true. We live in a world in America, let's be honest, right, where people are concerned about getting more stuff, right? We want more stuff and we want to gather more stuff and we want to hoard more stuff. But God's people handling their stuff different really preaches a different gospel than the kingdom of this world. And we also live in a world today where people are doing this sexuality thing with everybody, right? And so it's all kinds of crazy things happening in the earth. But when you follow Jesus Christ and you have a different sexual ethic and you reserve sexuality and your sexual intimacy for your spouse, it preaches a different gospel in this world today. I just want you to know it's a really powerful thing, how you handle your stuff and how you handle your sexuality. It's a big deal. And so here is where we want to dive into this. And this passage of scripture is one that I have been talking to when I'm explaining to my second grade daughter and my kindergartner. In the morning, we do like a little devotional time. I don't know, parents, if you're trying to do this like it it doesn't go perfect all the time with kids as you can imagine like we're trying to get hair brushed and we're trying to get sleep boogers out of eyes and we're trying to get them something to eat before they go to school and and everything's going crazy inevitably one of the three is crying at some point in the morning can I get a head nod from a mom or a dad right uh, this morning my wife uh, Sunday mornings are always crazy my oldest comes with me to church this morning and I said hey was it great you, you just had the two babies and she goes no your son had to be spanked twice before we even left the house this morning he's hitting his sister all the time y'all pray for us okay Thank you, thank you. Right, pray for us. But here, here's what I want you to get. My, my children, I'm sitting down with them, I'm explaining the kingdom to them, and I'm explaining this parable because I believe it speaks to the overflowing Christian life better than any other parable that I have read that Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like a man who finds treasure in a field, and then he goes and he sells everything he has to come back and get this treasure. I need to tell you a story because I didn't understand this is the way things worked until a few years ago. Uh, I got invited to speak at a leadership conference over in, uh, in the UK. I'd never really been there, I didn't, I, and I got invited to go. And so what's crazy is my mom, she like thinks the Queen of England is like the thing, and she wants to see all this. And so um, uh, instead of traveling with like one of the other pastors here on staff or bringing an intern along, I asked my mom to go with me to England to speak at this church conference thing. And we went a couple of days early so my mom could go on all these tours, right? And she could see the queen's house and, you know, all the things. All you people that follow the queen, you understand what I'm talking about. You know, Buckingham Palace and things. Well, we're going on these tours, and as we go on this tour, they point out this, this field, and they say, right there uh, in 2009, the, the largest Anglo-Saxon treasure hoard was found right there in that field. And, and I was like, what? Tell me about that. Yeah, it's just a green pasture where there was a bunch of sheep grazing. And apparently back in 2009, there was a man walking around with a, with a metal detector, and he finds some gold in this field. Well, he continues to look, and he ends up finding lots of gold in this field. He goes back to the guy who owns the field, and they ultimately end up splitting a treasure church. 14,000 pieces of treasure buried in this field that had never been discovered from 700 A.D. Anybody got a guess on how much it was worth? A lot, absolutely. $4.4 million. Now, would anybody like to go home today and find $4.4 million buried in your backyard? Show of hands. 
Yeah, right? Hello, that would be great with Christmas coming up, right? Okay, um, $4.4 million they found. Well, that's because back in the day, this is the way it happened. You didn't have a bank. You didn't go to TD Bank and put your money there or go to Bank of America or Wells Fargo. You, when you got something, and this is what would happen with all the armies, they would capture a city and they would get all the valuable treasure. And instead of carrying it along with you into war, you would bury it in the ground. And you come back and find it. So the Romans were known to bury treasure as they conquered different lands. They'd bury it in the ground. And they'd come back and find it. Well, that's exactly what happened back in the day in England. In the 700 AD, there was, there was $4.4 million worth of treasure buried in the ground. And in 2009, this, this guy just out with a metal detector finds it. And he ends up now having all this value and worth. Jesus Christ said that that's exactly what it's like to find the good news of the gospel. Anybody found treasure like that before? Where you find something that is so much more valuable than everything else that it causes you to look crazy compared to the rest of the culture. Could you imagine this today? What if you found treasure in your backyard or I found treasure in my backyard? I go home to my wife and I say, Corey, that's my wife's name. You're not going to believe this. I found some treasure. It is unbelievably valuable. I know, I know, I know it's worth so much. Um, but we're gonna, we don't own the field. We're going to go back and buy the field. Let's, let's sell your grandmother's ring. What? Yeah, I promise you. We're going to sell the ring. We're going to sell the car. We're going to sell the house. And we're going to take all of that and go, go buy the field. Because this treasure is so much more valuable than the field. That is the way Jesus Christ taught that the kingdom of God, the overflowing life, understands that the thing you have in him in the gospel good news is way more valuable than anything you have in this life. That was the way he talked about the treasure in Matthew 13, 44. Now, I want to point this out before I move beyond this. This guy wasn't looking for treasure. Uh, back in the day, there was, there was landowners who owned the field, and then there was blue-collar laborers who maybe like rented the field to farm barley or wheat or, or maybe soybeans or corn like we do here in South Carolina. And that, that's what's going on. It's just a blue-collar farmer who's out, and maybe he's leased the land to, to grow crops on that year so he could sell them. And while he's out there running his oxen, boom, he lands on a treasure trove. He finds it. Oh my goodness, this treasure's here. The landowner doesn't even know it's here. He buries it in the ground and he goes back home to his wife and he says, hey, we gotta sell it all, baby. We gotta sell it all. What? Yeah, we gotta sell it all. I found treasure in old man Smith's farm field. He doesn't know it's there. I'm gonna give him a good price for his field and then I'm gonna buy the field so that we can get the treasure. Jesus Christ said that's what finding the good news of the kingdom of God is like. It's like finding something that's of unbelievable value and everybody else watches your life as you overflow the resources in your life and you leverage the things in your life because you found something, something different, something distinct, and you're, you're going after that. And, and some people find it by accident. I don't know, maybe, maybe you found Jesus Christ by complete accident. You weren't even looking for it. He just happened to you. And now your life looks different. Jesus taught this other parable right beside it. They're meant to be right beside each other in contrast. And he said, it was like, a pearl merchant. Now, pearls are making a comeback. Come on, Braves fans, where you at? Pearls are making a comeback. No, nobody knows? Nobody knows? Okay. All right. Some of y'all know the Atlanta Braves. And if you need to know a little bit, back just a few short months ago, they weren't doing so good. But then uh, the right fielder, Jock Peterson, he started wearing pearls while he was at bat. He started hitting home runs. The next thing you know, the Braves are champions. Okay. So anyway, uh, these pearls, these are not real. These are toy pearls, right? Okay. Um, these pearls. Now think about this merchant. 
They're going and he's trying to find the very valuable, most valuable pearl to sell. And he finds one and it's so valuable that he goes back or she and sells everything he's got so that he might buy this one pearl. He leverages everything to buy this one thing because of the value of it. And that's the way Jesus taught these two. Now, just to point this out, the first guy, he found the treasure by accident. The second guy, the merchant, he found the treasure on purpose. He was looking for it. Some of you have been seeking. Maybe you're here today and you wouldn't even say you're a Christian yet. I'll call you a pre-believer. You haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. I want you to know that God loves people that continue to seek. And you don't need to be scared about seeking. The Bible says if you will seek, you will find. Search for it. Look for it. You're going to find something in Christ that is so valuable. It will make everything else in this world just, again, be a shadow of what the value is of Jesus Christ. And the merchant found that. Now, check this out. The, the, the farmer is just like a blue-collar worker. The merchant, this is like a white-collar person. And so... Jesus is saying to these people, it doesn't matter where your state is in life. If you're just an everyday worker or you're a wealthy person, it doesn't matter. You could be anywhere in between. The treasure that you find in Christ is so powerful that you're going to leverage whatever you have in order to gain the treasure. Here's point number two I want you to write down. The kingdom of God, it moves at the speed of sacrifice. The kingdom, the one that Jesus talked about, it constantly moves at the speed of sacrifice, and it's been moving for 2,000 years at the speed of sacrifice. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, from every different walk of life, the kingdom of God advances its pace and its place at the speed of men and women sacrificing. And so I want to ask you a question as I say that. Does, do you have anybody in mind that you think operates like this? I want you to, I want you to picture someone. Someone that you know that as you look at their life, it looks so different because you know they have found a treasure that is of eternal value. And so they leverage everything in their life. They leverage their world, their influence, their, their, their career, their resources. They leverage everything in their world in order to make it about the one thing, the one treasure. As I think about this, I was praying and asking the Lord, and he started leading me to some missionaries that have just been heroes. There's a, there's a missionary that... At the age of 28, died in Ecuador sharing the gospel. Many of you may know this missionary. He grew up in Portland, Oregon. He went on to college at Wheaton University in Chicago. God had, had really, really prompted him to share the good news with unreached people groups. So he ends up moving to Ecuador. He and his wife end up getting married in Ecuador. Their names were Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. If you know the story of Jim Elliot, at 28 years old, the people he was sharing the gospel with ended up killing him. Later on, after he gave up his life for the gospel, that same people would end up responding to the gospel. Hundreds of them would end up receiving the good news of Jesus, but only after he gave up his life. But Jim Elliot was famously quoted for saying this. I want to share it with you. Here's his quote. It says, he or she is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which we cannot lose. Think about that for a moment. He or she is no fool who gives what you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. That is a man or a woman that has been so blown away by the good news, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus, that they leverage everything in their life in order to make it about the one thing, the good news. And at 28 years old, Jim Elliott gave his life so that people might be able to hear the good news of Jesus. His, 
his witness stands as a really incredible light to us. I think about some missionaries that are from our house here. I think about uh, Charlie and Deuce Sullivan. They're, they're two of my very good friends. They grew up here. Charlie did. He, he grew up at Pendleton, South Carolina. I remember him coming to my home group years and years ago when I was a student at Clemson. And Charlie ended up being so prompted by the gospel that he ends up saying, man, I can't just be a volunteer at church. I got to go on to the mission field. He, he ends up moving to Brazil where he meets his wife, Do, and they've got their family. They've started there, and Charlie and Do are in Brazil today sharing the good news of Jesus. They're an encouragement. I think about not just Charlie and Do. I think about maybe you know Brandon and, and Rachel Loftus. They, they also are from right here in the upstate. They grew up at the Anderson campus, and they moved their whole family of five during COVID to Central America because they want to carry the good news of Jesus there. I think about DJ and Danny Davis. They're also from right here at New Spring Church. They're right now this morning uh, had church in Kenya where they're overseeing an orphanage in a school, and they're from right here at New Spring Church. These are men and women that when you look at their life, you go, wait a minute, what do they know that I don't know, or what do they what, what are they doing? Why are they making these decisions? And it's inspiring to me to see that, man, they have found a treasure of unbelievable value. And so they're leveraging everything in their life to make it about Jesus. But it's not just missionaries. When I think about people that this comes to mind, I actually, I, I asked Corey about this, Shelly, and, and uh, you may have already heard. See, if you come to the 1115, you hear about the stories that are shared at the 915. And uh, my wife at 19, she was a volunteer at 915 Wonder Way in Kid Spring. Uh, now, this was before I was dating her church, but I knew any college girl that would get up and serve the nursery of her church on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night loved Jesus. Amen? Uh, guys, I'm giving you a cheat code. Find you a college girl that serves at church on Sunday morning, okay? But the reason I'm pointing out Shelly is because this young college girl found her way into your kid spring room. And I remember coming by and checking in and seeing how she was doing. And, and when I asked Corey, I said, Corey, who comes to your mind when you think about people that leverage their life for the kingdom? She said, Shelly. I said, absolutely. For I don't know how many years, over 15, as long as I've been here, you've served in Kid Spring every single week faithfully in high seasons and in low seasons when it's sunny outside and when it's not sunny outside. And here you are. I, I told the 950, I said, she's not in here because she's serving in Kid Spring this morning. She sits right there every single week. And so I think about you, Shelly, the way you give your life away. And so many others, Shelly's just an example, and she'll be the first one to say, don't, don't make it about me. And she knows it's not about her, but she's an example of a, of a mom that has served in our church for years and years and years, decades and decades and decades. And she loved a college girl named Corey O'Toole years ago that I got to marry and now made her Corey Cooper. And so I love you for that, Shelly. Thank you for that. Amen. In addition to Shelly, it's every single college-age Fuse small group leader. Now, you know this when you're talking to college kids. They don't have any money, y'all. But you know what I see every single year, year after year, I see college-age small group leaders who take the little bit of money in their pocket and they put gas in their car, they drive to see their small group students play a ball game, uh, whether it's a volleyball game or run a track meet, or and they do it all the time. This happens dozens and dozens of times every single week on all of our campuses. They spend their money, they take their treasure, and they leverage it because they want their young man or young woman that they're ministering to to know that they're encouraging them. They go to their ball game and then they take them out to eat at Chick-fil-A afterwards and they spend some more of their money that they don't have on a, on a young man or a young woman so that they might be able to point them in the way of Jesus. I've seen it here at New Spring Church for years and years and years. And this is the way you leverage your life that the kingdom of God might advance in your world. Now the reason I'm super excited about this overflow season 
which we stand up every single year and we talk about how God is advancing the kingdom right here in New Spring Church is because we're talking this year about the Aiken campus. And I want to share with you folks that may not know about the, the origin of the Aiken campus and, and specifically the leaders that are in place in Aiken. And I want to tell you about a young man that I met when he was 14 years old and he was, a, he was in between his freshman and sophomore year at Daniel High School over there in Clemson. Uh, this was before we had a Clemson campus. This young man's name was Matt Steelman. We have a picture of Matt and some of his buddies at the gauntlet from years ago. That's Matt in the black shirt right there. And uh, man, every single one of those folks uh, hanging out, I could name every one of them. But that gal that's beside Matt is now his wife. So God did it right there, okay? We'll sh I'll show you a picture of them in a minute. But Matt Steelman was a basketball player from Daniel High School, and, the, and uh, Matt and the other guy with the fused shirt on to his, his right, our left, Andrew, were the first two students who drove all the way from Daniel High School to Fuse back when we just had it at one campus. Okay, so they drove like 50 minutes to Fuse every single week, and they ended up coming to the gauntlet and, and, um, and were leaders for us for years and years and years. And then Matt went on to, uh, to college at Wofford. And he played basketball there. And while he was there at the Wofford uh, College there playing basketball, he helped our Spartanburg campus get started. He was one of the guys that was there helping load in and load out and serve on the team there. Uh, and then Matt ended up getting done with college basketball, and he followed his dad, uh, who's a college basketball coach. And Matt went into the profession of coaching. He moved to Indiana, because uh, other than North Carolina, Indiana is the second best basketball state, right? And he went up there to Indiana to coach college basketball. And while he was there at the other Anderson University up in Indiana, he helped a young church planner get his church started. That young church planner is Davey Blackburn. Some of you at the Greenville campus will remember Davey. And, and Matt served up there while he was a college basketball coach for a couple of years. And then one day, Matt, he... he called me on the phone, I'll, I'll, I'll not forget it. He called and said, I know that I'm called to full-time ministry. I'm not called to be a college basketball coach. I wanna come back and be a part of the church that helped to shape me. Do you think there's a place where I could serve? And we, of course, prayed about that and we found a place for him and he actually came back on staff in our Greenville campus to serve as the student pastor at our Greenville campus for several years where he got the honor while he was there as the student pastor to baptize lots of people. But one of the folks he got to baptize was his little brother, Jonathan, at Gauntlet. So Matt was a fused pastor for several years and that's his little brother who is now taller than Matt. Uh, and uh, so this is several years back and he baptized Jonathan. And, and he served there for several years until we... we had the opportunity to plant more campuses and we were praying about what cities to go to and Aiken, South Carolina showed up and Matt raised his hand and he and his newlywed wife, Nikki, said that they would be willing to go to a community they had never been to to help plant church there because the kingdom moves at the speed of sacrifice and that's Nikki and Matt several years later getting married. That actually is right across the street on Midway Road at McConnell Farms and that shadowy character in the background is yours truly as I'm officiating their wedding. And uh, they picked up and left the upstate and moved to Aiken, South Carolina because they understand that the kingdom of God moves at the speed of sacrifice and now they've got a family and they've been there for five years and God has grown that campus. And last week we had over 500 people there at the Aiken campus in the middle of a crazy COVID season and we're seeing God do incredible things. But I just tell you this church that as we're talking about this, I wanted you to know that I have incredible trust and our leadership has incredible trust because of the kind of people that are leading in Aiken 
we believe that God is going to continue to use not just Matt and Nikki, but the entire team down there. Nathan, one of the, the pastors there, and Grant, one of the pastors there, and Mills, who serves as the kids' spring director. All of these folks, this is the same kind of spirit that, that God has allowed us to, to see in that campus. They had a serve day yesterday as they're serving the community. And this year, as we give towards the overflow offering, we're going to be able to get them in a facility so that more people can hear the good news of Jesus. More families can come to kids' spring. More folks can serve in the student ministry and see students change there because the kingdom of God moves at the speed of sacrifice. I mean, if you think about your story, if you call yourself a Christ follower, somebody sacrificed so that you might hear the gospel, whether it was literal resources they gave or whether it was they're serving you or they somebody served you to preach the gospel, the kingdom of God moves at the speed of sacrifice. And man, I'm just so proud that we have a church that gets this and has gotten this for 21 years. And I just wanted you to know that we are so excited about Aiken, South Carolina, because God has got the people in place there. But here's the third point I want you to write down. He's the kingdom of God, the one he talked about in this parable, it's a kingdom of action. It's not a kingdom of sitting on your hands. It's not a kingdom of religious just uh, uh, viewing. It is a kingdom of action. Think about what Jesus was saying. The man who found treasure in the field, he took action. The man who found the pearl of great price, he took action. And that we, as we look at this opportunity, we are a people that believe this gospel of Jesus so much that we're going to take action. We're not just going to gather and we're not just going to clap our hands and say, great job. We have an opportunity to take action. And so as, as we come around this idea of taking action, I want to do something. I want you to think about maybe what your, what are the things in your life that are of value, right? Your pearls. What are the things in your life that, man, if you really were honest, it's like, gosh, It'd be very hard to give that up for, for God. And I, I, I'm up here with you, okay? I'm, I, I'm asking this question every single year. God, what have you put in my influence that I can leverage for your kingdom? What, is there anything that I'm holding on to instead of leveraging? Is there, is there anything that I'm holding on to and I'm just kind of going through the motions? I want to be, be a man, a pastor, a leader that takes action. I want to be a husband, a father that shows my kids. We're taking action because the gospel isn't just true up here. It's true in here. And we're going to be a kingdom of God people that take action. Now, before we move any further, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. But I think it's important that we all get to the right motive of why we would take action. Because firstborn type A up here, I can take action so often based on duty or based on obligation or even based on emotion or based on shame. I don't want, and, and I want you to know that God doesn't want any of us to take action based on duty, obligation, shame, or emotion. He doesn't want you to take action on that. He actually tells us why we should take action in the parable. He's, he tells us when he's talking about the man who finds treasure in the field, it says that the man buries the treasure. Then, here it is, in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to purchase the field. The reason and the place that I want you and I to all find that we would take action on why we serve or why we give or why we would pray towards something like this is it needs to be founded on joy. Now, let me give you an example of how I think you can get there. Um, uh, the other week, uh, my wife and I got a chance to go out and celebrate dinner. 
just a few short, short months ago, we celebrated an anniversary. Now, husbands and wives, when you go out and you celebrate an anniversary, uh, you're going to eat dinner. We could have, at my house, we could have just made some really nice grilled cheese and had tomato soup, and we'd enjoy a meal together right there in our home, and it would be fantastic. And I love tomato soup. I love grilled cheese. I love, I love toasted peanut butter and jelly with tomato soup. There's a, a life hack if you've not tried that one. They're fantastic. But let me ask a question. This is not rhetorical. Anderson Campus, you'll have to answer out loud. Did I grilled cheese and make tomato soup for my wife on our anniversary, yes or no? No, 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 no. What do you do? What do you do, husbands, when your anniversary's coming up? You make a reservation somewhere, right? Yeah, you make a, you, and, and, and let me ask, when you get to the place you make the reservation for your anniversary, do you get an appetizer, yes or no? Yes, yes. And when your wife says, oh, I don't know, maybe we should get this or maybe we should get that, instead of making a decision on either, what do you do on your anniversary? You get both. All right, you're with me. You get both. Oh, you could try. If you don't like it, we'll, just, we'll get both, right? It's like an all-inclusive. Here we are. We're getting both. You get the 16-ounce ribeye, not the 8-ounce. Amen, fellas? Right? You get the big steak. Okay. And let me ask you something. Even if you're full on your anniversary, do you get dessert, yes or no? Absolutely, you get dessert. It's everything. You get it all. Why? Because when you're doing an anniversary celebration, at least it is for me, you're celebrating with joy in your heart. I tell my wife all the time, we've been married for 11 and a half years. I tell her, I still can't believe you said yes, baby. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for saying yes, helping raise these three youngins with us. And, and we're doing this. I can't believe you said yes. But here's the point. When you're doing something like that, the, you don't even look at the price the money just joyously comes out of your pocket. They bring the bill and you just throw the card down and you say, yeah, I'm, we're doing this. Why? Because it's my joy. You're, I'm, you're my wife. I love you. The same can be said if you're celebrating somebody's birthday or you're celebrating your kids at Christmas. You, it's your joy to celebrate them. I want you to know that's the kind of place God wants each one of us to get to when it comes to the way we leverage our life for his kingdom. And if you have never, ever had true joy in the gospel, then I just want to lovingly say it may be because you don't know the gospel. Maybe you've never really understood that Jesus Christ didn't have to die on the cross. God didn't have to give his only son, but he did. And the Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross and he died for you and I so that we would not have to pay the penalty for our sin and for our death. Ultimately, he died our death and he extends us his life and he has given us this good news message to go into all the earth and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this one more time. The way we handle our stuff, the way we manage our kingdom, our individual spaces is one of the greatest greatest apologetics for the gospel in the earth. So as we come back around this question, I want to ask, what is God saying to you? What's God saying to you, sir, ma'am, college girl? What's God saying to you? Is there, is there anywhere as you look at your life where the King Jesus, he doesn't rule and reign? He doesn't dominate that area. Because the kingdom of God, the king's dominion are places where he can dominate. Maybe today you need to activate on what God is putting his finger on right now. What's God saying to you? And let me just ask this question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Don't just sit and hear 
don't just jump back in your week. The way that the kingdom advances, it's, it's naturally overflowing from God's people that move forward and sacrifice. It advances at the speed of sacrifice. And we're going to be a people that take action to see the good news of Jesus advance in the earth. And that means that you're going to have to do something about it. So I want to invite you today, as we get to the close of this message and we create a little bit of space to ask those questions of God. Have I found the treasure that's worth leveraging everything else? Have I, have I taken action on it lately? What's God calling you to do in this season? Would you stand to your feet on all of our campuses? And as you stand, I'm going to invite ministry teams forward. And let me just say this as the ministry teams come. Our ministry teams, their prayer is powerful, y'all. Uh, it's kind of a joke right here, but not a joke. I, I got a chance two weeks ago to go deer hunting. I asked some of our ministry teams to pray about my deer hunting. I shot the biggest deer I've ever shot in my life. It's in the freezer now. And I'm just telling you, their prayer is powerful. Okay, so you might have something today that needs prayer. I want you to know that's why they're here. They're here to pray for your family, to pray for sickness, to pray for healing, to pray for the job, to pray for the anxiety, to pray for the stress, to pray for what God may be calling you to do in the kingdom, that it moves at the speed of sacrifice. The altar's gonna be open on every single campus. Maybe you need to come forward. We're gonna create space today as we think about overflowing, how we might be able to participate and be a part of the action of God's kingdom moving at the speed of sacrifice. Let me pray for us and then we'll create some space to respond. Father God, thank you. Thank you for taking action. Lord, you are the, the good and best example of this. Jesus Christ, you did not remain in heaven, but you entered into our world and you took action. You moved the kingdom of your father forward and you used sacrifice to do it. You died in our place you gave us your life, and then you give us your spirit so that we might be a people that would continue to sacrifice. I thank you for every single volunteer that serves week after week faithfully in Kidspring or in Fuse or in a parking lot or cleaning up a bathroom after everybody leaves or wherever we, we are serving, God. I thank you for every ministry leader. I thank you for every single pastor, God. I thank you for all our missionaries, Lord. But, Lord, I pray that you would call more there's so many more people, 42% of the world has never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need men and women that awaken to the reality of what you have done so that they would leverage everything, their career, their stuff, their influence, so that others might know the good news of Jesus. And so, Lord, would you do that? Would you do that in your church today, I ask, right here at New Spring as we respond to you now for your glory our joy in the world's good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.